You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. We continue now with Simply Jesus from the Gospel of Mark chapter 6, in which we find probably one of the most famous miracles of all in the New Testament, most people know Jesus fed the 5,000 with just five loaves and two uh, fish. Um, and this miracle is recorded actually in all four of the Gospels, one of the few that is. So we're fo- so familiar with the basics of the story, I think sometimes we miss the implications of it. The 5,000 men and the others who may have come out into the wilderness What were they looking for? What were they looking for? Were they looking for simply Jesus and who he said he was, or were they looking for someone else? Were their expectations what actually happened in this miracle? We're going to read Mark chapter 6 and get into the idea of that the expectations that the people had uh, were not fulfilled by Jesus, he does something even more revolutionary than what they were looking for. Let's read Mark 6, 30 to 44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand When we read this, um, text, I think we cannot help thinking that Jesus was trying to get away into the wilderness to take a break, go camping with his friends, and ends up having a big picnic, kind of a family reunion. Everybody just wanted to get back to nature and go out and hear a great teacher. But I think we don't understand the context of what's really going on in Israel at the time of Jesus, if that's all we get out of it. We don't understand the expectations of Judaism, their hopes and their dreams. We realize there is much more going on in this text than simply the miracle of a mass feeding. We're going to break down the message as follows. The story is actually about a revolution. It's a revolution like no other. 
It's not what was expected. And it's led by revolutionaries who are absolutely, absolutely unqualified for the job. And it's initiated by a shocking revolutionary event. So first of all, it's a revolution. And why do I say it's a revolution? Because um, we got to understand both geography and the cultural expectations of the first century. When Jesus left the villages of Galilee and was going out into the hill country, he was actually going into the hotbed of revolutionaries and freedom fighters. Though many people disagreed with what the zealots were trying to do, their violent insurrection against Rome, they sympathized with their cause. They wanted a revolution. They wanted Rome to be overthrown. They wanted it to be subverted. And Jesus looks at the crowd, and this is the passage. He says, they looked out in Mark 6, 34, and because they were like sheep without a shepherd. When we hear sheep and shepherd, we think, oh, quite quiet, nice pastoral scene, but no. Actually, the metaphor of sheep and shepherd from the Old Testament from passages like the prophet Jeremiah chapter 23 and Ezekiel chapter 34, let alone Psalm 23, what we find out time and again that shepherd is a metaphor for the leader, both political or military leader of Israel. And in fact, this passage that Mark has is a reflection of a passage by Moses from his book of Numbers when he was praying to God for someone to follow after him. He knew he was going to die soon and that the people would be without him as their leader. So who would be next? And Moses says in a 20, Numbers 27, 15 to 17, Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord the God of the spirits of all flesh appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So Joshua became their leader. And if you recall, Joshua is a great general. He's a commander of the Lord's army. And the 5,000 who were going out into the wilderness 5,000 men, what were they looking for? Another Joshua, maybe another Moses, maybe another David, maybe them all wrapped up into one. They wanted liberation from their oppression, and Rome was their oppressor. They wanted another military leader, a general, maybe the ultimate king. When John's Gospel recalls this verse, by the way, um, John shows kind of the motivation of the crowd and what they came out to see. In John chapter 6, verse 15, it says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. They wanted a revolutionary leader. They wanted a revolution. And they were going to force Jesus into that position. But this is a revolution like no other. Because when Jesus looked out them, at them, it says, when they looked like sheep without a shepherd, the text of Romans 6.34 says, and he began to teach them many things. He began to preach the gospel. 
You know, revolutionaries, generals, even uh, would-be leaders, when they gather a crowd together or when a crowd comes around them voluntarily like this and they're looking to the leader, the revolution, what do you do? When you're out in the wilderness in the middle of nowhere, when you can equip the people with what you need, you start handing out the weapons and you do weapons training. In fact, to this day, you will find military camps populated around the world in the most unlikely locations, partly so that they can be hidden from the general population and train for a long period of time before they come into the cities, come into notice to overthrow, to have their revolution. But Jesus, he doesn't hand out the weapons. He teaches, he gives out his word. He distributes bread and he teaches or trains his disciples to be distributors of the basic needs of life. What kind of revolution is this, right? One commentator on the Gospel of Mark at this point in time says, it's clear from the account that Jesus will not march to the populist and militarist drumbeat. Here in Mark 6, he disavows the zealot model of liberation in one act here. Jesus actually repudiates all the power plays and all the revolutions that have ever happened throughout history through the use of force. Jesus, though, doesn't disavow revolution. No, the heart of the kingdom of God is a liberation. It is a revolution that comes, though, not through force, not through might, not through power, but through teaching, through the word, and through serving. You know, when we think of giving, handing out bread today, the first things that we think about often are, oh, I've got to watch my carbs. <laughs> I need to avoid gluten. In ancient times, though, bread, without very few other options for food for peasant people, bread equaled life. Jesus is giving out life through the handing out of this meal in service to the world. He is a shepherd. He is a leader like any no other. He grows his kingdom not through military might or by force or by dictate, but through giving and serving and teaching. The contrast is stark. In the Gospel of John, where Jesus talks about uh, himself being the good shepherd. He compares himself to the leaders who have come before and all the leaders of the world in his day and age. In John chapter 10, he says this. So again, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, I am the door to the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out in and come out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. All other leaders before him, all other revolutionaries, they basically were merchants of death. They were the ones that would overthrow through oppression just to establish another regime by oppression. They came to kill and steal and destroy they're part of the same death system that had started with Adam and Eve in the garden, but Jesus says, I am different. I have come to give life. 
In the wilderness, you see that. Jesus gives out the bread. He gives out his word. And the two go together quite well, by the way. You see, there was a metaphor throughout the entire Old Testament, especially in the wilderness, uh, in the time of Moses. In Deuteronomy, Moses says that you came out into the wilderness to know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That God was training his people in the wilderness to depend and rely on him. And Jesus, when he is tempted in the wilderness, in Matthew chapter 4, says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is the word of God that gives life. It is God himself in teaching, it's proclaiming the gospel that gives true life, that there is a hunger inside every human being that cannot be satisfied simply, excuse me, simply with bread, simply with um, a morsel every day or two, but only through God's word being implanted into our lives. We live in a society, by the way, that doesn't think words are that much. And human words often aren't, but God's word is different. And we live in a society as well that looks towards the spectacular. What's interesting here is the miracle that Jesus does, I mean, it is a miracle, a feeding of the 5,000 or more. But what does the miracle actually teach? What is it really about? The feeding of the 5,000. I guess you have to ask that question. In a society like we have, where we think, okay, the miracle's there to just prove that Jesus is divine, he could have done it a lot better in a lot better way than this. Um, if he just wanted to wow the crowd, if he wanted to show his power off, you know, marketers today probably could say, hey, look, Jesus, you know, feeding the 5,000 this way, kind of in a hidden way, by using a five loaves and two fish and then handing it out and letting the disciples be involved, that's kind of getting all messy. Why don't you, hey, here's a good way to wow the crowds in the wilderness. Why don't you just shoot on up and levitate above the crowd right now, um, kind of like Superman, and then whirl up a ball of fire in your hand and then cast it down on the earth to incinerate a tree. That should prove your, um, your divinity. But that's not the main point of Jesus' miracles, to prove his raw power. It is to show his redemptive purpose. Not his raw power, his redemptive purpose. Jürgen Moltmann a theologian writes this well. He says, when Jesus expels demons and heals the sick, he is driving out of creation the powers of destruction and is healing and restoring created beings who are hurt and sick. The lordship of God, to which the healings witness, restores creation to health. Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They are the only true natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. Finally, with the resurrection of Christ, the new creation begins. Pars pro toto. That's Latin. That means the part for the whole. Or as Jesus was raised, so too we and all creation will be resurrected with the crucified one. Jesus' healings are the only natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. So what God is doing here in this world today, what God is doing 
in our lives. You know, he's not happy with the way the world is. Hunger, inequality, disease, violence, death. Jesus is no more happy with that than we are. We see in his life then that he is restoring what God intended from the beginning, but also the way and direction that God is going to bring this whole world that through his healing and through his miracles, he is bringing the future into the present to show us God's kingdom in its fullness and what this means, that God is going to, and when we align ourselves to God's future that we have in Jesus Christ by healing and fighting disease and poverty and making peace and bringing about justice in this world, we are displaying for all the world the kingdom of God. And yes, many people in this world do that kind of work. Many of them are trying to fight disease and hunger and violence. But often people will do it from different understandings of this world. A materialist viewpoint would be that this world, these things are natural and we just gotta overcome nature but then we're fighting against, quote, the nature that we think is the, the natural way the world is. Christians, we look at this world and we see disease and death and inequities and injustice and violence and all of, all of these things in this world. They're not the natural order God had intended and they are not inevitable. In fact, we know the future. We know how God is changing the future for us how he has done it and initiated it in Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ himself is that future. He is the one who blesses and breaks and has a revolutionary cause that we are a part of. We can then do it with hope, hope of a future that we know is guaranteed because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he, pars pro toto, that he is the, the beginning of that future and all that he was doing started the future that God intends for the whole world and we're going to be a part of that. Christians are fighting what is unnatural in this world. And it is, though, led by us Christians. Jesus calls us into it. And we are revolutionaries who are absolutely unqualified. Point three. You know, Jesus goes out of his way to make this point. The whole New Testament, well, the whole scriptures actually make this point that anyone who God calls is really unqualified by their own work or their own efforts. It is only because of the call of God that we do it. You know, the disciples have a reasonable point in this text. So they've been at the seminar all day. It's been a great conference, Jesus, but now it's dinner time and it's time to kind of say, supper on your own. Y'all go out. Maybe come back tomorrow, but uh, we're not feeding you. That wasn't part of the deal. And Jesus says, no. He answers them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? You can almost hear the sarcasm in their voice. You can hear their retort back to Jesus. Are you kidding me, Jesus? <laughs> you want us to go out and buy about $30,000 worth of bread with no Costco for miles and as if we have that money anyways. Jesus knows he has called his disciples to an impossible task that they are absolutely unqualified for it. 
and he is teaching them until you see the fact that you really can't do it, that I am calling you to do what is impossible in this world, that you are unqualified to do it in any form. And only when you do realize that, then greater things can happen through you. Look, and look at how Jesus does this miracle. He could have just called on, you know, the clouds of the sky to drop the dew from heaven and it turned into bread, kind of like manna in the wilderness. But no, he calls on them and says, what resources do you have? They come back and say, hey, we found five loaves, two fish, which is basically a kid's happy meal. You know, five pieces of pita bread and two sardines. And yet, as he takes what is there, he blesses it and breaks it, and it is distributed. That The miracle happens as they are giving it out and serving. It's, what Jesus is saying is, what, you, what I call you to do in this world, if you wait until you have all the resources, you'll never do it. The work of healing, the work of giving, the serving and caring for this world, of restoring and newing this earth, the work of working for justice, it's always impossible by human conceptions. But if you go out knowing that it's impossible, if you go out knowing that you are unqualified, if you're going knowing that you do not have the resources, and you still go out knowing to do it because I have called to do it, I have told you, you go and feed them, then I will do greater things through you. Paul, though he was not feeding the 5,000, he was not there. He knew anything that he did. He was unqualified to do it. He was chief of sinners. He was absolutely inept. In fact, that is one of the major themes of his his work. (laughs) The fact that he was only qualified only because God called him, not because he himself had any adequacy in himself. In the book of 2 Corinthians, he goes into great details about that, how we are like earthen vessels or clay pots. And it's, the clay pot is a nothing thing. It's just a common, ordinary thing. But inside of it is God's glory, is God's goodness, is God's grace, is the gospel. And the gospel makes all the difference. A commentary A great quote from a commentary in 2 Corinthians on these passages says this, It is not God's intention that we should be in ourselves adequate to our tasks. Rather, he wants that we should be inadequate. If we only accept the tasks that we think are adapted to our powers, we are not responding to the call of God. The church is always in a crisis. And always will be. Difficulties, limitations, insoluble problems, lack of people and money, a menacing outlook, endless misunderstandings and misrepresentations. We are not only to do our work despite these things, but they are also precisely the conditions requisite for the doing it. It's only the inadequate who are actually adequate. Only when you know it's going to take a miracle are you ready to actually be a part of what God's going to do? And only then when Jesus gets involved. And finally, the revolutionary starts with a shocking revolutionary act. You might not pick up on it, but it's hinted at here in Mark chapter 6. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples to set before him. And he divided the two fish among them. He blessed he broke. Those two verbs are found elsewhere. In Mark chapter 14, the night before Jesus is crucified, the night when he was betrayed, it says this, 
And they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. Jesus doesn't tell us what to do. He doesn't give us a method. Jesus accomplishes it. He gives himself for the life of the world. In John's feeding of the 5,000, we have Jesus teaching the crowd afterwards. They come to try to take him by force. He withdraws and they come after him and he tells them something very revolutionary that shocks them all. They're not sure what to do with it. He says, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus gives himself with his word. He is the bread of life. In other words, Jesus blesses and breaks. In order to live, Jesus needs to die. He gives himself for the life of the world. His life is lost. You know, all revolutions, almost all of them, start with an act of violence. And so does the kingdom of God. But Jesus is not the one who causes, nor his disciples are called to violence, but rather the act of violence happens to Jesus. He doesn't simply um, use the same methods the world has for a better cause. You know, a lot of revolutionaries want to subvert society because they see the inequities, the injustices, and often it's either the peasants or the, the, this group or that group that take over for the bourgeoisie or those who are in power or those at top and the underdogs overcome, but then they set up an entire system that's then in the future just another pyramid scheme with another group in power, another corrupt uh, form of a hierarchy that will need to be changed again, but not Jesus. He doesn't simply pit one group against another or try to take out those who are in power at the time. He subverts the whole system, the whole world order, the system of exploitation, because he gives his life. He is the bread of life, and he is broken for others. Upon the cross, you see him blessing and being broken. When the crowds are hurling insults at him, he looks to his father and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He blesses those who cursed him. And then he is broken. His body is broken. My life broken for you. Jesus also calls us for our lives to be broken for others. That is to be vulnerable, to be expendable, to be used for the sake, for the service of the world. Paul again understands this in 2 Corinthians. He says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. The way we subvert the culture is through this kind of sacrificial service, of blessing and breaking, just like Jesus did. And when you give of your income, 10% or even more. You are blessing this world in ways to be used for God's kingdom. It means that you're not socking the money up for yourselves to try to protect yourself, but you are becoming vulnerable and kind of broken in this world. You're losing power for the sake of empowering others. 
becoming needy yourself, just like Jesus. And when you do the hard work of loving others, of trying to serve others, of forgiving others, of reconciling others, of staying in fellowship with each other, that is a difficult task. And sometimes um, it's very vulnerable. You are serving others. You lose power. But you're part of Jesus' revolution in doing it. Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of a missionary who was killed um, by uh, the indigenous group he was serving as a missionary in South America, she um, not only forgave this group, I think it's the, um, the point of the spear is a movie and a book uh, that talk about uh, his life as well as the life of the other missionaries who were killed in South America. She writes this that I think um, really sums a lot of what we've been saying today. She says, it is God and nothing less than God that we depend on. For the work is God's and the call is God's and everything is summoned by him and to his purposes, the whole scene, the whole mess, the whole package, our bravery, our cowardice, our love, our selfishness, our strength and our weakness. He uses as the instruments of his peace a conglomeration of sinners who sometimes look like heroes and sometimes like villains. For we always merely are old clay pots. Yeah, it's a revolution. A revolution like no other. Led by absolutely unqualified revolutionaries. Clay pots. And initiated by a shocking revolutionary act. The death and resurrection of Jesus where he gives his life for the sake of the world. Where he shows us he is the bread of life. And we become peacemakers givers of life, distributors of bread, witnesses to God's word. That's the ultimate revolution. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this day, for this time together. We pray for your healing for those who are facing difficult times. We especially lift up Bob and Joan Beverly today with Bob back in the hospital with a fever as he is facing difficulty, Lord, with his, uh, his whole health. Lord, you know what's all going on and how he's been in and out of the hospital already this week and now this. We pray for strength for Joan, for guidance for Bob, for healing, for protection, for your will to be done in his life, for you to be glorified. We lift up to you Jeff Blankenship as he continues his recovery. For those who are traveling, Lord God, we pray, Lord, that you would teach us how to be revolutionary in this world. Revolutionary peacemakers, revolutionary in the sense that we are about liberation, about uh, freedom and about giving and about serving, but in such a way <laughs> that this revolution is unlike any other, Lord Jesus. We ourselves repudiate the violence and the force this world uses to one-up each other. We pray, Lord God, that your kingdom come and your will is done as it was through your son, Jesus Christ, will be accomplished now through your church throughout this world this day. We praise you, we bless you, we thank you, Lord, and we pray together now the prayer you taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.